Uh, Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. We're going to read all the way through chapter 10. Right before Steve got up to pray, I whispered to him, I said, don't mess up. Which is what you say to people when you know, get in front of people, you're always afraid you're going to mess up. So I always found it encouraging to say to them, don't mess up. No, it doesn't help at all. Uh, but it is funny because you can't mess up when you're doing this kind of stuff. I was thinking about like having kids in the service. Given the spiritual nature of the church, things like crying kids can't mess it up. And I say that because all six of my kids are at home, so <laughs> they definitely won't mess anything up, except for my house. Uh, chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 13, and we'll read all of chapter 10. It's a long passage, probably the longest passage we've read so far. And when I was reading it this morning in the office, I timed it. took about eight minutes to read. So it's a good story, though. And it's finishing up. The plagues story. So we all know about ten plagues. The nine, first nine plagues are given in cycles of three. First three plagues are one sort of cycle, then yet another cycle. We're now in the last cycle of plagues, third cycle, and it's the longest cycle. It will be uh, hail, locusts, and darkness. And things get pretty bad here. So Pharaoh's already received six plagues on, on Egypt. And now in verse 13, Moses uh, returns again to him. In verse 13 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore sin now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord, ra- and the Lord rained hail on the, on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field, and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I'll spread out my hands to the Lord, 
the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. For that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Just a note there. Uh, Moses said, we're all leaving. Men, women, children, everyone. Pharaoh said, only the men can leave. So he, he rejected, then he ran them out. Just so you know why he gets plagued afterwards. Pharaoh uh, only wanted to only thought the men needed to worship, and you can see God's response here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat, and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called, for Moses and Aaron in haste, and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, 
and he did not let the children of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hands toward the heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hands toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt, three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what, with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you shall see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. This is the word of the Lord. Pharaoh is not a good person. And God is showing everybody that. So in this third cycle, the intensity is increasing to a level that this previous six almost didn't matter. Uh, things like hail. I just read it, I, when I was studying, I read that in 1984 or 1985, 400 people were killed in Germany by a hailstorm. I didn't know that kind of stuff happened. They said that a hailstone was measured at a kilogram. So I'm not sure how big that is, but I know it's smaller than a quarter. So hail is pretty bad. It kills people. It killed animals. It killed livestock. Then the locusts came. Locusts is still a problem today. I think currently in West Africa, it's being devastated by locusts. Say a locust can eat its weight in uh, plants every day. And that a locust swarm will have like a billion locusts in it. And when they show up, they eat everything green, then they leave. And afterwards, people starve to death. So what happens here is uh, the hail destroys livestock, destroys people, destroys plants, then the locust eats everything that they had growing in the whole land. Now, what happens when a country loses all of its produce? It starves to death. And then this last one, the darkness, it's hard for us to comprehend this because we have electricity. But imagine a life without electricity and no sunlight for three days. It basically shuts your life down. So what's happening here? God, Pharaoh asked the question that, that governs this whole passage. In chapter 5, he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord. And so God says, okay, we'll fix that. And that's what he's doing. So as God reveals knowledge of himself, man either refuses to accept it and descends into chaos or repents and believes unto health and harmony. And that's what we see happen in this passage. Knowledge of God is revealed. Pharaoh rejects it and descends into chaos, personally. The New Testament gives us another picture of believing unto life. So the question, who is the Lord? The first thing we look at, who is the Lord? These passages reveal who he is. That's the whole point. The whole point of the plagues was to answer the question, who is the Lord? And since that same Lord exists today, this passage is relevant to us. The God that governs the world today is shown in this passage. So when we look at it, we see who it is. God is revealed by his actions and explained by his prophets. 
God does something, and then a prophet tells us what it means. We know God, who God is because of what he does. God acts in our world. And then his prophets explain that to us. Tell us what happened and tell us what it means. Now, when you study passages like this, there's a tendency to say, ah, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have any... Pharaoh, plagues, Egypt, hail, locusts. I've never even seen a locust. Never seen a swarm of locusts. I've got electricity. What's the big deal? But see, that's Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh's response was, I've seen it all and I still don't care. What the, what the Bible is saying to us in this passage is, watch Pharaoh and don't be like him. You should care about God. And though the prophet may stumble and stutter and confuse things a little bit, the truth is still there. And it's there to be received. So God reveals himself by his actions and his explanation of it. And what do we see here? We see two things, his actions of justice and his actions of mercy. Unprecedented destruction in this passage. Such that had never happened before in a country and would never happen again. Look at chapter 9, verse 14. God explains himself. He says, For this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. He said, I'm going to send things that are going to cut you to the core so that you know that your gods, they're not like me. See, Pharaoh was a very spiritual person. He worshipped regularly. He was very spiritual, very devotional. God's saying, yes, but you're worshipping all the wrong gods, and I'm going to show you why you shouldn't worship them in a way that you can't deny. So the unprecedented destruction is God's justice and righteousness saying, you will accept that there's no one like me. And if I have to kill every plant in your country, that's what I'm going to do. If I have to destroy your country, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what he did. Think about the destruction here. That Egypt, as a country, was decimated. How many thousands died after this? How many thousands died during this? God's not playing around here. He destroyed Egypt. Now, Egypt rose again after this, but I don't know how long it took. The widespread uh, famine that would have occurred after this, the, uh, the depression that would have occurred after the darkness, the, the, the killings, the suicide, the crime. We talk about the purge. Purge has got nothing on this. God says, I'm going to decimate your country to show you that there's no one like me. He wanted to show that he owns the earth. And in chapter 9, verse 29, it says, So Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll spread out my hands to the Lord, the thunder will cease, and there'll be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. God's control over nature is God's way of saying, I made it and I own it. I own everything. You see, the Egyptians said, the God of the Hebrews should be somewhere else. He's invading our country. We have our own gods. And God is saying, no, you don't have your own gods. I'm your God, whether you accept it or not. But just to show you that, I'm going to control nature around you. God owns the world. God controls the world. The Egyptians rejected that, and so God destroyed their country. That's justice. Rightful ownership should be received, should be received and accepted. When someone steals something from you, what do you want? You want the police to find the person, get your stuff back, and then punish them. It's called justice. When you see someone who's a thief and they get away with it, what's our reaction? 
that's not right. Someone needs to catch them. That's what happened here. See, this God that, that people try to portray as sort of angry and wrathful and vindictive? No, he's just. Egypt was stealing from God, and so God took it all back. And the level of, of theft that Egypt had taken is revealed in how he destroyed them. So how does God feel about this? What exactly had happened in Egypt? Two things had happened. One, they stole people. And two, they stole worship. The precedent for this was they had kept the Israelites in slavery for 400 years. And God says, that's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. And then they said, we're not going to worship God. So they stole people and they stole worship. And here's God's response. So when we ask ourselves, what does God feel? How does God feel about slavery? He feels like he wants to wipe out the country that does it. That's what the Bible reveals to us. How does God feel about oppression? When God acted in a country that was, was oppressing people, he wiped out everything. Now, God doesn't always do that. and That's called the mercy of God. We'll get to that in a minute. But when he does act to reveal his feelings and to reveal his character against oppression and slavery, it's not just kill the leaders. Do you notice that? He kills everybody. He kills everybody's crops. He kills everybody's land. He decimates the country. God is revealing something to us. He's saying, I don't like it when you oppress other people. How much does not God not like it? That's what this passage is showing us. And, and how is this relevant? It still exists to this day. Slavery still exists to this day. It exists in our own country. It's changed forms. It looks different. Sometimes it's uh, sexual slavery. Sometimes it's trafficking. Sometimes it's drugs. Whatever it may be, it's one person oppressing another person. What does God think? He says, I want to kill everyone that does that. God's not going to kill everyone yet because he did it once and he told us about it. So we know what God thinks. But the bigger thing here is that they refuse to worship God. God says, if you refuse to worship me, I will kill you. That's the point. Egypt worshipped false gods, so God showed up and said, you can't do that. You're my people. I created you. You should worship me. And so he kills them, and he destroys their country to reveal how he feels about sin. Let's take that to heart. God hasn't changed. God has not changed one bit from Exodus chapter 9. This was written 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago maybe. God hasn't changed. God has the same reaction to sin now as he did then. So how does God feel about our sin? Read these stories. That's how he feels about it. But he also has actions of mercy. So God is just. He hates sin. He wants to destroy sin. But he is also merciful. Look at verse chapter 9, verse 20. Moses is saying, he says in verse 19, Therefore now send and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man, every animal, which is found in the field and is not brought home and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. Why did God warn them? It's punishment. And yet what does God do? He says, I'm going to punish you because you're terrible. But if you listen, you can spare your livestock and people. Isn't that merciful? God's saying, you deserve to die. But if you listen, you don't have to. So his mercy is revealed. Over and over, the warnings are given. Over and over, God says, if you don't do right, I'm going to punish you. And then God punishes them. But over and over, these warnings are merciful. 
You see, this is not a God of wrath at this point. This is a God of mercy saying, I'm going to give you one more chance. Okay, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you ten chances. Now, Pharaoh didn't listen, but other people did. You see the mercy that the, he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. Amen. They were spared. Not because they deserved it. They deserved to die. But God showed mercy to them. So the warnings are God's mercy on people who deserve to be punished. But more than that, God is spreading the truth. God is spreading knowledge of himself. Look at verse uh, 15. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. That was the full judgment. God comes in, kills everybody. And it would have been just. But, in verse 16, but indeed for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name should be declared in all the earth. Instead of destroying Egypt, he lifts Egypt up. Now, it doesn't sound like Egypt's been lifted up, does it? Famine, starvation, destruction. But it is being lifted up. It's being used by God to proclaim who he is. Egypt is becoming a prophet. It's speaking the word of the Lord. It's saying, look at us and see who God is. It spreads the truth so people could worship. You see, without the knowledge of God, you're lost. You're hopeless. There's no point. And so what God is saying here is, I'm going to punish you, but I'm also going to show you mercy by giving you myself, showing you who to worship, raise you up so my name be declared in all the earth. Have you ever wondered how people in other countries know about God? Here's one way. When Israel, later we'll get to chapter 12 and 15, Israel travels a long way and meets other countries, guess what they already knew? They knew about Egypt. They'd heard about these stories. They feared the Lord because of the stories they'd already heard. You see, God wants to save the world. But to save the world, he has to reveal himself to the world. So he does that here. A merciful act in the midst of judgment of saying, hey, look, I'm God, worship me. And so the word got out to all the earth. I would imagine Israel, Egypt is the most powerful uh, nation at this time. It would be for about 2,000 years. When Egypt is destroyed like this, everyone hears about it. Everyone hears about it. If China ceased to exist, you'd know about it, wouldn't you? So Egypt is destroyed. Everyone knows that God did it. So what are they going to say? Who is this God that wiped out the most powerful nation on earth? Because I want to worship him. So it was an act of mercy in this moment. But it was also an act of mercy to his own people. In, verse 10, in chapter 10 it says, he goes, I will show these signs that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt. And my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Didn't Israel already know? This Israel did. But he's not talking about this Israel. He's talking about this Israel's kids and grandkids. God is saying, I'm going to set up something so that people who don't even exist yet can know who I am. He says, I'm going to give you a story to tell to them. They haven't even been born yet, but I'm already preparing for them. So what's happening here is in the midst of death and destruction, God is caring for people who don't exist yet. He's looking forward to his people who would be born so that he can care for them and reveal his, his knowledge, the knowledge of himself to them. That would include us. We are God's people. This story is for us. See, when God says it's children's children, he's saying, I'm going to give a story in 1500 BC that people in 2017 AD can listen to and know about God. God's thinking about us while he's writing this. You realize that? God has you in mind 
in Exodus chapter 9, you personally, not you generically, when he's destroying Egypt, he's thinking about us. Not in a generic way, not in a sort of a theoretical way. He's thinking of your name. You see, God has all knowledge at all time, and he's, he predestines us. He has elected us according to his foreknowledge. That means at this time, he knew who was going to be saved. He's preparing for us in this church at this moment 3,000 years ago. That's a God you want to worship. That's a God you want to tell other people to worship. That's a God unlike anything else in this world. And that's the point of Exodus. But look at the response. So this is the Lord. This is who he is. And look at the response of Pharaoh. The response of sinful men. Sinful humanity. He refuses to accept his place in God's world. Chapter 9 and verse 17 God says, I've raised you up to declare my name in all the earth, as yet you exalt yourself against my people. See, God had raised them up in a certain way, but Moses saying, or Pharaoh saying, I'm better than that. I'm exalting myself. Look in chapter 10 and verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? God created the world, and these plagues showed that. Pharaoh saying, I have a different place in this world than God says I do. God's order is not my order. I'm in a higher place than God says I am. So what Pharaoh does, he refuses to accept his place in God's world. Pharaoh thought of himself as a god. He said, I am a son of a god. I make my own rules. I did it my way. I am the master of my ship. God is... Pharaoh's saying to God, I don't care how you want it. I'll decide how my life works. I'll decide where I fit into this world. A refusal to accept God's place. Walt Whitman expressed this. Walt Whitman's a 19th century American poet. He wrote this sincerely. I celebrate myself and I sing myself. The song of me rising from the bed and meeting the sun. Divine am I inside and out, and I make holy what I touch. If I worship one thing more than another, it shall be my own body. And you thought this generation had a problem with selfies? Nothing's changed. Social media has only given an outlet to what's always been there. The song of me rising from the bed and meeting the sun. Isn't that what we make fun about Twitter for? No one cares when you get up. No one cares what you have for dinner. But we think they should. Walt Whitman says, you should know when I get up. You should know when I go to bed, I make holy all things that I touch. And America, that's, that's the core of America in a lot of ways. Rugged individualism, pioneer spirit. We make it on our own, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, conquer this world, manifest destiny, all of those things. We are God. And so what does Pharaoh do? Because he is God, he can negotiate with God. And that's what he tries to do. In verse chapter 10 and verse 11, he, Moses says, let us go. And he says, we're going to take everybody. And in 11, he says, not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. See, Moses said, everyone leaves. And Pharaoh said, no, just the men. He's negotiating. He's saying, in my world, only the men matter, not the women. So since I'm God, only the men can go. But in the real world, Moses says, no, everyone's leaving. The men and the women, because the women need to worship too. 
and the kids, because the kids need to worship too. So Pharaoh is saying, I'm going to negotiate with you and say, this is how I think it should be. Can we meet in the middle? He does it again in verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones go with you. What gives Pharaoh the right to negotiate with God? Why does he do it, though? Because he thinks he can. Aren't you glad we don't do that? I'm not saying we do, but I'm going to quote another preacher, and you can see if he's true, uh, Philip Ryken. Uh, like Pharaoh, many people bargain with God, trying to get him to lower his terms. They will say the sinner's prayer as long as they don't have to go to church every week. Or they will go to church as long as they don't have to get baptized. Or they will get baptized as long as they don't have to get involved. Or they will give some of their time as long as they don't have to give all any of their money. Or they will give part of themselves to God as long as they don't have to give everything to him. In short, they're willing to become Christians as long as they can live for themselves. They imagine there is some way to hold on to their sins and still get to heaven. But anyone who thinks this way still has a heart of darkness. Salvation is only for those who walk by the light of God's word. You don't get to negotiate with God. Repent and believe means give everything up and turn to Christ. Not give up what you think you should give up. Not give up the things that you feel are important or not important. You don't get to negotiate. God gives all the demands and a Christian receives them all. That's it. The minute you start to negotiate with God, you're exalting yourself. You've no longer accepted your place in this world. You've broken with reality. You've said, I don't think what I know is true is actually true. I'm going to make up a new world that I can live in. And in the new world, I'm in charge. And I decide. You see it here in his temporary repentance. The hail comes. Pharaoh's like, no, I'm sorry, I've sinned. Hail goes away, Pharaoh goes back to sinning. The locusts come, Pharaoh's like, oh, I'm sorry, I sinned again. What's happening? Pharaoh's attempting to bargain with God. He says, if you take the hail away, hail away, I'll obey. I'm sorry, I've sinned, I've done wrong, while the consequences are here. The consequences are taken away, the heart doesn't change. He's, he's using behavior to negotiate. He's saying, I'll change my behavior if you change your behavior. God says, that's not going to work. And what happens to Pharaoh? Notice the behavior of Pharaoh. It's not rational. You see, as Pharaoh, just like the darkness, this, this three days of darkness, that's significant. Darkness is chaos. Remember Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's the first thing he did? He separated the light from the darkness. Because darkness is chaos. All throughout the Bible, darkness is chaos. Darkness is undoing. Darkness is death. So God brings darkness on Egypt to say, I'm undoing you. And Pharaoh is undone. He descends into chaos. He's, he has a mental breakdown. See, the Bible is not just about sort of philosophical things. It's, it's about mental health. If you don't obey God, you will have mental health issues. You're like, what? Yeah, look at Pharaoh. He rejects God's word, and what does he do? In chapter 10, verse 7, Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? His servants are like, 
we're being wiped out. Why won't you let them go? And Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let them go. But then he changes his mind, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. That's irrational. When your country's being wiped out, what should you do? Solve the problem. Pharaoh won't do it. He's mentally unstable. His mind is breaking from reality. His servant saw it. He said, what you're doing, Pharaoh, is destroying our country. And Pharaoh says, I don't care. I don't care if God kills everybody. I'm still going to do it. That's a mental breakdown. Look at verse chapter 10, verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your little ones be kept back. But Moses said, No. In verse 28, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Pharaoh knew what God was doing. And he said, The one person going to help me, get away from me. I don't want to talk to you anymore. He cut off his only chance of hope. That's irrational. Pharaoh is having mental issues. Why? Because he refuses to accept the world as God said it was. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. If you refuse to accept God's word, you will have a break from reality. Look at college students. You know there's an uptick in suicides among college students? Do you know why? The New York Times has this quote. The existential question, why am I here, is usually followed by the equally confounding, how am I doing? In 1954, the social uh, psychologist Leon Festinger put forward the social comparison theory, which posited that we try to determine our worth based on how we stack up against others. So these students go to college, and guess what you have in college? Social media. And all your friends on social media are doing well, and you're not doing well. And you realize you don't stack up well against them. And so many college students are killing themselves because they don't stack up. They break from reality. And what is their reality? What their friends are doing. They have names for it. You go to Penn State, big college, right? They have a thing called pen face. Pen face is putting on an image of ease and strength and sort of nonchalant success. Uh, they said the one girl who killed herself talked about this before she did it. She said women are supposed to be glamorous and successful and athletic without looking like they're trying. And so they, have, they call it pen face. And they actually make fun of it and they do skits about it. It's putting on a face that says, this is easy. When it's not easy. Stanford has another thing. It's called duck syndrome. Go to Stanford University. It's called duck syndrome. Have you ever seen a duck on a pond? What are they doing? There's nothing more peaceful than a duck on a pond, right? Just glide across. What's happening underneath? They're paddling like crazy. So students at Stanford call this duck syndrome. You've got these students who just look like they're just breezing through their classes, and they're having parties, and they're, they're playing sports, and everything's easy. But underneath, they're paddling like crazy. And a lot of these students can't handle it. That's why successful students who are getting good grades and everyone thinks they're going great end up killing themselves. Why? This is an epidemic in America. Because the reality that they're looking at is not actually real. And eventually it breaks them. The reality that you see in other people is not real. The only thing that's real is what God tells you is real. And... and Mental health issues often, not always, but often, are because you can't accept the way things are in God's, in God's view. And eventually it breaks you down. 
The Bible talks about this. Matthew chapter 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. Look at verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, what you look at is what you are. And if you're looking at this world, he says, lay not up for yourself treasure on this earth. If you're looking at this earth where moth and rust corrupts, your body will be full of that. Your physical body. If all you see is this world, it's going to corrupt you. It's going to break your mental health down. It's going to break your spirit down. If you're looking at people, you can't stand that. You can't do it. You have to create constructs within you. Don't let the Bible be divorced from your practical life. Don't let the Bible talk about spiritual things and doctors talk about physical things and have this huge divide between them. The Bible covers everything. And it's saying if you've got physical problems, there's a, well, we know it's from sin, but there could be a chance because you are filling yourself with the corruptness of this world. If you've got mental health issues, it could be, possibly, because you're allowing the world to create your mind. James 1, 5 through 8 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, that's great. But let him ask in faith. Faith in what? Faith in the word. Faith in the prophet of God. Without doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All his ways, not just spiritual. The Bible is comprehensive. It's saying if you reject the word of the Lord, your life's going to start crumbling. Maybe not today, but it will eventually. Some people are faster than others, and some people in different ways than others. Are you anxious? Are you depressed? Why? Have you looked at the word? Sometimes it's chemical imbalances. Sometimes it's physical ailments. And a lot of times, it's rejecting the way God said things are. If all you do is go to doctors, you're not going to get the answer. Pharaoh is having a mental breakdown because he will not accept the way things are. It still happens today. Mental darkness. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. As much as we see the destruction of sin, we still want it. We still identify with it. We still feel a kinship with sin. And so we say, oh, it's killing me, but I still want it. That's what addiction ultimately is. An addict says, I know it's destroying me, but I'm still going to do it. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. As much as we hate what sin does to us, the mental instability, the emotional uh, damage, we still do it. Spurgeon gives you a call here. Forget Pharaoh and only think of yourself. You see, there's a call to Pharaoh here, isn't it? Repent for real. But this is just for Pharaoh. Spurgeon says, forget Pharaoh and think only of yourself. Let the Lord Jesus Christ himself, with a thorn-crowned head and pierced hands, stand by your pew. And looking right down into your soul, say in his matchless tone of music, the music of the heart of love, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? 
don't be Pharaoh. You will be destroyed on this earth and in the next. Christ is saying, humble yourself before God. How do you have happiness? Isn't that what we're looking for? Happiness, harmony, peace. We don't want instability. We don't want damage. We want harmony. How do we get it? Well, in this world, you never really get it. And the Egyptian, the, let's think of the context here. What, what happened to God's people? They'd been enslaved for 400 years. And then they were victims of genocide. Things aren't going great for them. Things aren't going to necessarily be much better for you. So if your life can't change, what can change? Your job may not get better. You may lose your job. Your health may not get better. It may get worse. In fact, everything in this world could get worse. And sometimes being a Christian makes it worse. This is what's called the opposite of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says believe in Christ and everything's going to get better. I'm telling you the opposite. Believe in Christ and everything may get worse. Your life could be worse. And eventually it will be worse when you die. But Ephesians says something different. That God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit. And a false teacher will say with things and with health and with relationships. No. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's what the gospel promises you right now. That inside your soul, you'll be healthy. And that's all it promises right now. It promises you inner stability. So that when the bad stuff happens to you, you can handle it. And how do you get that? You accept your place in this world. You say, I've been created by God and I'm limited by design. I'm not supposed to know everything. I'm definitely not supposed to control everything. So when you're freaking out because you can't control something, you're not supposed to. Accept it. Accept your weakness and accept that other people are going to hurt you and you can't do anything about it. That's the way God created this world right now. That's the way it should be. That's God's order, and you have to accept it. But then what? You accept who you are, and then you listen to God's word. You hear and respond to the word. And what does the word say? Only trust what God says, don't trust anybody else. Isn't that simple? Everything out of here is true. Everything out of us. Right? So trust this and put everybody else on probation. And you'll be fine. You'll be strong inside because you're going to say, I don't need to accept anything anyone says if it's not in the Bible first. That's a sort of independence and strength that no one can touch. The world can't offer that. Nowhere in the world can you offer that sort of certainty. Everything else is experience-based. But the Bible is offering you a certainty. Trust the word of the Lord, not yourself, and definitely not others. And then finally, repent of trusting yourself and trust Christ. Pharaoh refused to do it. Let Pharaoh be a warning. The end of Pharaoh is not good. Your end can be different if you trust Christ. Matthew chapter 4 says, And the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. The Egyptians had three days of darkness. 
to show them that they had no hope. But when Jesus was born, it says that a light has dawned. Light is shining on you right now. What's your response? Do you love darkness or will you turn to the light? Romans chapter 16 says, Now to him who is able to establish you, establish you, set you firmly, not crazy like Pharaoh, not destructive like people who ruin their lives, not proud and brittle like those who think they have it together. He's able to establish you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience of faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Christ Jesus forever. You want all the answers to your life? That was it. You want to figure out why you're so upset all the time? That was it. You know why you can't sleep at night? You know why you can't focus at work? You know why you're angry all the time? You know why you're vindictive? You know why you're passive aggressive? Because you're unstable. You're not grounded. How do you get grounded? Christ, he who is able to establish you to get rid of your anger, to get rid of your bitterness, to get rid of your passive aggressiveness, to get rid of all those things that you don't like about yourself, he is able to do it through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Reject Christ and you will descend into chaos. Accept Christ and he will give you peace and harmony. Those are your only choices. Those are your only choices. Pharaoh is a warning about who God is and how he deals with us. And Christ is an answer to all your problems. Repent of your sins and trust Christ. Let's pray.